Welcome to another episode of Money for Nothing, a podcast about music and capitalism. I'm Saxon Baird, and as always, I'm with Sam Backer, and we are talking about what everybody has been talking about this week. I mean, it's been on the headlines, when you're on the street, people are talking about it, you're checking your phone, you can't go to sleep, because this last week, there was just so much going on around this one subject, and of course, I'm talking about Spotify. Specifically, <laughs> specifically copyright payouts. <laughs> but actually, we're talking about Spotify. Yeah, we actually are talking about for Spotify. Real, for true people. For, I yeah. know it's, it's, you will be shocked to learn that we have opinions about this matter. But I would say that, you know, outside of the election, I think that Spotify was probably, if you're just, just in the music realm, was probably getting the most headlines. And that's because of a little possibly semi payola deal in which they're pulling but we're we're gonna get to that in a minute but first we're gonna talk about something that's also been in the headlines the music headlines which has been going on for about a month now i think and that was some demands that were levied at spotify by the union of musicians and allied workers who launched a Justice as Spotify campaign. Now, this union, as far as I understand, is newly formed, and it's a collective of like musicians and DJs and producers and people who work in music in various ways, and they're trying to basically collectively use their power to fight for better rights and more money and a livable wage and various other things. Um, it's not really fully clear like who exactly they are or who it started, but it does include uh, at least this Justice of Spotify campaign did include signatures from such people as Downtown Boys, Ted Leo, More Mother, Zola Jesus, Deerhoof people. But basically they're, you know, basically taking up the issues in which most musicians have been taking up issue with for the last decade based since Spotify launched. And they also, though, have developed a list of demands that they said that they were going to socially distance deliver in person to Spotify. I don't know if that's happened yet, but it has made headlines in every major music rag. So Sam, why don't you go ahead and just like, why don't we go through some of these list of demands and, and dive into them and discuss. And first of all, I just want to say like how much I respect this effort and this group. Organizing musicians is notoriously difficult. The big unions often tend to be Union labor activity is almost always most effective when it's around a single choke point, right? So stagehands on Broadway have a good union because if Spider-Man, afraid of the dark, can't go on, then like that's a lot of money that is locked up in that. And so their ability to, you know, if they do a work slowdown, like that's a big problem. Similarly, the most unionized musicians tend to be orchestra. Uh, classical on the you know the high end of classical because again this is like season holders to the symphony don't want to pass like picketing oboes <laughs> i would love to see a picketing oboe hey all those protests going on in new york let's get some oboes out Dude. there oboe great <laughs> right? instrument but yeah but there's a lot of mo- there's a lot of money involved in, in, in what in that and so obviously yeah it's important yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you can understand why this was, you know, those are the kind of environments that are most conducive to a really effective unionizing effort. And it's been much more difficult, especially as live music has changed, as groups, you know, like DJs have become to be come to be increasingly important parts of live music that that union uh, musician unionization has not kept a pace. 
and that the, you know, the American Federation of Musicians was incredibly powerful through parts of the 20th century and has, in some ways, kind of, in my understanding, re- retreated a little bit from attempting to represent all musicians. And so this group is very much in kind of like a a wobbly-esque, like an IWW-esque vein, where they're trying to be a mus- a union for any and all people who work making music in a far more capacious framing of that than other... Yeah, allied workers is, a, is an important part of, of their name. Yeah. And I would also just add to what you were saying that of another problem with trying to unionize workers is oftentimes the most well-paid musicians or artists aren't the ones that are interested in unionizing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, is Kanye union... Like, if they had Drake or... Yeah, if they had Drake or Kanye on their side, it might might have a little bit more yeah, sway. But in, in some ways, that yeah, it's, it's very much set up that... I mean, this is the kind of like the individualized model, right? Like, they're like, I'm a star. I made it. I don't have... American dream kind of thing. Yeah. Shared interests with... Yeah. So... Anyway, that's just a little bit of background on, on this, this group that I think kicks ass in a lot of ways. That said, I, I thought their, their their demands were really interesting, both because of like uh, certain parts of it are, are, I think, are very, very clear-sighted and very, very uh, rhetorically effective. And other parts, I think, re- reflect a kind of um, a broad set of understandings about Spotify and about what it does and about how it acts and about how it's developed that might make it actually harder to get a grips of like what this company is and what it does. So first demand, user-centric streaming, which basically means instead of all the streams going in a big pot, artists want to be paid a specific amount of money for every stream that they get. Um, Right now, Spotify collects all the streams, like I said, into a big pot and then kind of averages it out and you get paid out based on the number of total streams in this pot. It's very complicated, super opaque, and artists would like to be paid one cent a stream. Yeah, that's what this union's demanding. Yeah, one cent a stream. Yeah. I mean, user-centric streaming, I think, is an interesting idea. It's not clear how much necessarily it would change everything. Um, I think it would probably change things less than people might think it would. I also think what's really interesting is the way it frames what Spotify is. And they say, pay us. Spotify makes an enormous profit across its platform via user fees, capital investment, data collection, and more. And that, I think, is actually super crucial. Because Spotify is not a simple company. It's got a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. It's got a lot of different revenue streams. And it kind of operates in a space that makes it different than a lot of other previous music businesses and so yeah i think that's really important when thinking about what this company does is they're absolutely right right it makes money via user fees right i think that's 90 percent of its income is from people paying the paid spotify subscriptions 10 percent is advertising now capital investment and data collection i think those are kind of more amorphous terms um i think it's very hard to quantify how much is made from capital investment but i think it is important to think about spotify as a company where in some ways spotify has been in the business of promising investors that spotify will in the future make a shit ton of money and that is how spotify has made most of its money more than anything else spotify First through rounds of venture capital funding, I think like five rounds of venture capital funding, and then through a stock price that 
just kind of has a has a trajectory of enormous future growth <laughs> that is spotify's primary business um this like always receding future which is like which is a class the classic you know the tech when we talk about the tech boom this is how these places get initial money to to do what they do uber we works amazon yeah, well, remember like four or five years ago with Snapchat, you know, the big question was, how is Snapchat going to turn a profit? You know, how, is it going to serve advertisements? Is it not going to serve advertisements? And I think you're right. In, 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 in it's important to think about Spotify when you talk about Spotify as not just within the realm of music, but sort of existing at this intersection of music, advertising, technology, yeah, finance and- as well. You know, like no. let's, let's not kid ourselves what this company is. And that's also evolving as time goes on. But yeah, basically your main point is that the only reason why Spotify exists is because it's like, this will be important, this will be valuable, and so invest in us because someday we're going to make a profit. But the problem is they're not making a profit, and part of, part of the reasons why they're not making a profit, which we'll get to more in later, is because of the fact of all the payouts that they're doing to artists, which which creates a, a weird confluence of, of, of conflicting demands. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that doesn't that it doesn't seem to have like a very easily recognizable middle ground if you have a one-side artist be like pay us more and spotify being like if we pay you more we'll go under and then you have to wonder like what's gonna what what is be the result of that but maybe maybe we're getting too far ahead maybe we can talk about that like later in the show yeah no no i i, I think i think that kind of gets in, in in the next demand but b- quickly before we get that i mean i love just like I love this idea though because if Spotify functions now, has money now, because of projections into the future, and at some level will always probably do so, then like, yeah, the artist should get some of that money. <laughs> like that future money is present money because their valuation is based on the idea of future profits and if that's what's floating spotify's boat if that's what's giving it this valuation that's equal to like i don't know roughly like 20 to 30 percent of the entire music industry right now then yeah that's like money that exists in the present in a real sense and i just love like that idea of thinking about if we have shifted to this tech economy where these kinds of valuations are based on future expectations of growth in some ways, that it, the temporality of that is funny, right? Because you can't get a pay out of that money because it, it hasn't happened yet. But if we're saying like there are going to be companies that are going to exist for 15 years in that liminal space, then that just becomes part of life. In and it seems like yeah, labor should demand a cut of that pie. So another demand that this union of musicians and allied workers is asking for Spotify to do is to be transparent. So if you look at their website, you know, they're asking, uh, basically calling on Spotify to be more transparent with finances, their platform, and their relationship with artists. Make all deals with major labels public and end practices that resemble payola. In addition, we urge Spotify to give give due credit to all engineers, musicians, and laborers on all recordings. Yeah, and so, it's, and but I think it does bring up an interesting point that I can reference to like Liz Pelly in some work that she's done with the Baffler writing about Spotify, which I suggest if you're interested in this, you go and read that Spotify views artists as customers, you know, which I think is a really, which, you know, which is a really interesting point because obviously without those artists, there would be no Spotify. 
if you didn't. And so, but the treat, so they're treating them as like, here's a service in which like we are offering to you so that you may go ahead and present your music or your music from your label or, or whatever. And there's opportunities to like reach a wider listenership and, and, and all that. But, it, but it, yeah, it, it is interesting, like wanting to become more transparent about that. And obviously, this is also suggesting some sort of like whistleblower role, like with the union. And just I think the oh, the sort of big picture here is the union, this union at least, wants to have more of a like closer relationship in proximity to Spotify and their dealings. Like, sounds like they kind of like want a seat at the table. That's how I interpret this demand. Yeah, no, I, I think that's totally right. And, and I, the thing is, I feel like where this demand and, and this demand and to a certain extent, the, the next demand, which is that <laughs> Spotify, please stop trying to crush like artist rights in courts, which is basically Spotify anyone who's been paying attention to California politics has seen major tech companies go all out with lobbying to reduce or get get rid of legislation that uh, would have made Uber drivers employees, not contractors. And in that grand tradition, Spotify has been doing its own legal efforts to try to um, undermine potential uh, decisions that would make uh, payouts to songwriters higher. But the thing is, in both of these, I think, fall down or the real problem with them, I guess, is that they treat Spotify like it's an independent entity. And I'm just not sure if that's the most accurate way to understand this company. Yeah, because demanding, so take the number one, we want one cent per stream. And like making that demand or turning it in from a prorated system to a like uh, user-centric model, that move basically, and you can explain this more, but that move would require the approval of the biggest right, rights holders of music, so like Sony, Universal, Warner, and Spotify is beholden to them. And so you're, and so then, and so what we'll talk about more in this episode is that Spotify is kind of this middle person company, and so you're actually like. It's it's not it's not following the root of the systemic problem to its to to the to the core to the bottom. Yeah, and, and I think it makes it makes sense to think about a, a little bit about Spotify's history and just like how it got here, right? It's founded in the mid two thousands. Um, I think starts around two thousand six, goes public in two thousand eight. So this is really as the music industry is beginning to fully collapse it's launched in europe i think it comes to the u.s only in 2010 um which is the real the nadir of the major labels we had david turner on the show and he was kind of talking about like this was a moment when it wasn't insane to think that like maybe there won't be any major labels right so they're really at their least powerful they've probably ever been and basically Spotify only exists because the major labels give them the right to stream their catalogs. In exchange for that, the major labels got 20% of Spotify. They've since sold off most of that stake, but every couple of years, there's still these closed-door negotiations between the labels and Spotify over a whole host of things. Promotion, royalty payments... They're, you know, complex interconnected business relationships, so complex that it's not like they're competitors. The major labels basically function as a cartel, 
and Spotify is a willing intermediary. So when you say, you know, we want a one set stream from Spotify, the people who are making this money, most of the money from this economy, isn't Spotify, it's the major labels. It's the major labels and Spotify as a single entity in many ways, single entity with some different interests and it's and, and, and we'll talk about the ways in which their 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 desires don't necessarily align. But like you have it's necessary to think about this at like a sectoral level, it seems to me, to understand like who you know, who's getting the money, who has the power. And that and that story is if you've listened to any of this podcast <laughs> or know, you know, anything about the history of music is common. And, you know, we, we rail against the major labels and the power that they wield all the time. And it's important to keep that in mind that Spotify, you know, in many ways in its development did kind of come out, I guess, like of left field, but it was only able to land here in the United States because of, the approval of these three major labels and once they got the approval of those three major labels which is a really fascinating story that we won't get into that involved like the guy who started napster and like his work with facebook and all this but nonetheless and a russian businessman and <laughs> yeah and, a, and a, yeah, a russian businessman who was like buying out i think like universal or something yeah super fascinating story uh, i suggest warner i think yeah it's warner. warner yeah maybe warner yeah but it's it's important to remember that th- once they got the green light of the major the big three that's when Spotify could come to the United States. And they are handcuffed to these to these big labels. And so we have to so while we totally like respect the demands and even maybe agree with the demands of the union and like love this union and the work they're doing, it's important when and we'll talk about this more probably, but it's important when addressing these issues and when attacking Spotify, not attacking Spotify in a vacuum. <laughs> Like, like this is connected to like greater systematic issues and part of a whole yeah industry. No, totally not not attacking Spotify in a vacuum. I think is exactly right. And Spotify makes a big uh, thing in its, its 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 claims. Like it it pays out like billions. Like Spotify takes in a lot of money and it pays out the vast majority of it to what it says are creators. But actually, what it means by that are rights holders. And if you think about the major label contracts, right. Go back to Kanye's contract where he's making 18% on the profits of those first four albums, right? Touch the Sky gets streamed a lot of times. And when Kanye isn't making money, when Kanye isn't making one cent a stream, that's less about, or it's equally about Spotify and this major label system where they're now again, after it's not 2008 anymore. It's not 2010 anymore. They are as powerful and as connected and as controlling as they ever were. And in some ways it's helpful to them to have kind of, instead of like cutthroat competition for records, to, you know, kind of share the wealth of um, rap caviar. I woke up a couple meal on my plate. Let's eat. I'm investing in real in the state. Uh-huh. I just went and gave my mama a hundred. Uh-huh. Probably won't hear me open my mouth unless you hear me talking about finding some money. Let's go. As soon as I found it, I flipped it. Flip. I'm a little bit different. They get it. This is to another headline involving Spotify around a, a new move, a new offer uh, that Spotify has tried. And Spotify is notorious for creating new options features and things like that 
and then pulling them shortly after. But this latest one, and I'm reading, I'll read, I'll read to explain it from a recent Guardian article by Alex Hearn, who's the technology editor, that uh, Spotify has been accused of trying to create digital payola after announcing a feature that would give artists an algorithmic boost on the company's playlist if they agree to take a cut in the royalties they get paid for the relevant songs. The feature, which Spotify is describing as an experiment, will affect playlists including the company's Artist Radio, which plays songs similar to a particular band, and Autoplay, which continues to play similar music after a playlist to run, run out of tracks. Quote, artists and labels can identify music that is a priority for them, and our system will add that signal to the algorithm that determines personal, personalized listening sessions, says the company. So basically, for a lesser cut of the, stream, of the streaming royalties that you get, which is you know obviously a huge issue and not enough already, they're in exchange going to give you the opportunity for i guess more exposure and i guess more streams in the end so maybe making up for that and so this has been called out as like a sort of like payola uh which is causing like a lot of flack and a lot of controversy i mean i don't know if this is fair to be totally honest because i just feel like working for exposure is a time-honored tradition and everyone who's ever worked for exposure has really has earned the benefits right I mean, as someone who's done lots of work for exposure, I've just, you know, you could take that to the market. You can you can trade it in for <laughs> food. I mean, exposure is really, you know, the grease that runs the wheels of this digital economy, Saxon. Yeah, exp- yo, exposure pays my rent. Like, yeah, it makes complete sense. But no, but the, to be serious, like the, the problem is, is once again, that Spotify is not turning a profit, which it's starting to get a little bit in trouble for globally as far as like, is this a long-term solution? Does it really create value as a company? And part of that, as I mentioned earlier, is because of their payouts to all these artists. And so they're trying to figure out a way to like, like basically get blood from a stone. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and that, that I do, I think that that's a really useful metaphor. And it, it does seem like Spotify is really trapped. Um, and it's interesting to think about a variety of things that it's doing in this moment as a way to, in some ways get out of its trap and in another way is is to kind of settle its identity as like a a tech company or a media company right it's like you said they pay out most of the money they take in to rights holders so one of the ways that spotify could become profitable and, and it's important to note that unlike um because you have to pay out these royalties on every stream Spotify's profitability in many ways is more all or nothing than a lot of tech companies, right? Either the streaming is profitable, in which case kind of everyone, you know, you make money on all the streams or it's not profitable because you're below whatever register of payout, you know, whatever level of payouts. So this is a big problem. And so one of the ways that Spotify could has been attempting in a variety of ways, it seems like, to deal with this problem is to reduce labor costs, whether that's creating their own music and filling like mood playlists with it whether that's something like this right where the royalty rates drop and and more generally i think that they've had a real turn since around 2015 2016 into this kind of um and again liz pelly has written some really great stuff about this a turn towards like the playlistification of music right this idea of personalized recommendations of um, playlists based on mood. And in some ways, you could see this as them attempting to create leverage 
against both the artists and probably from where I'm standing, more importantly, against these major labels, right? That if they, you know, if rap caviar becomes more important than the artists that are on rap caviar, then Spotify can get a bigger cut because people need to be on rap caviar. And then all of a sudden, instead of being beholden to these major labels, instead of you know you being handcuffed to them, maybe they're handcuffed to you. And then thus creates value. Yeah, and that would create value. Right, which leads us to, I guess, the question that maybe, I don't know if you want to dive into now, but where does Spotify create value? And like, does it create value? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like, so... I'm a huge TikTok fan. I love TikTok. Like, love, love, love TikTok. It does all the things, all my basic aesthetics, which are like repetition and shouting. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> it's just like, it's got that for days. Um, and, like, TikTok, and we're hopefully going to be doing a show about TikTok soon. And, and like, TikTok is a really good AI. It's like a pleasure to use TikTok because it really, not just does it feed you what it, it does it quickly figure out what you want to know, or sorry, what figure out what you want to see, but you can in real time adjust it and it almost immediately responds to your adjustments. So you can intentionally be like, I'm bored of my stream looking like this. I'm going to watch these other kinds of videos a little bit more and it will change almost instantaneously to feed you different content and compared to that spotify's like for you algorithms are terrible like i don't know about you like my like for your drive playlist is just a random interspersed assortment of like things i listened to over the last week that don't go together at all. It was like me and my friend's dance party and also a late 90s Grateful Dead show because I was stressed and like just randomly interspersed those two things together. And I'm like, this is the worst playlist I've ever seen. And I don't understand like what kind of AI you used besides like what did Sam listen to in the last week? Uh, that's just showing casing like how much of an eclectic person you are, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> you are actually breaking the algorithm. Which I, I don't want to get too, into, too far into, but I've always said that today's protest, like the, I think the most worthwhile protest we could do is to purposely try to fuck with algorithms. But anyways, we can talk about that later or never. But uh, No, I know. You, I think you're right. I mean, like, it's crazy because it's possible to... Spotify's algorithm is particularly fuckable with. I mean, like, I personally, like, because I do research for music writing sometimes, it's like... I don't understand you at all, sir, because sometimes you listen to classical music and sometimes you listen to a hundred hours of New Orleans Bounce. And like, I don't... <laughs> but you also, let, let, let's, not, let's not forget though that part of the reason why these like curated playlists and, and all this is that it's creating information and data in which they can turn around and sell to, to companies who might possibly want to use them for advertising purposes, but also just trying to gain data and trying to understand certain demographics of society and how to serve them ads and products and commodities better and that's also another reason why they're why they're also creating this so and that that's a really good point um and it's something that's kind of hard to quantify i mean like poking through like shareholder stuff about spotify it doesn't seem like their data is bringing in that much money but that also doesn't mean it's not 
I mean, there's like a devaluation, I think, of data more generally, um, like because there's just so much data out there. But it doesn't mean that that's not in terms of the lived experience of the people who's, you know, you can combine Spotify listening profiles with Google searches and like the lived experience of like the intrusion of uh, a system of consumption into like the crevices of your fantasy life that emerges from something like that. Um, no, I mean, that, that that can be that can absolutely be huge. And, and they're very explicit about it. I mean, they call it the two sided market, right? They're selling. And honestly, that's not enough sides. Like you said, they're selling services to musicians. They're selling music to its customers and then they're selling this data to whoever wants this data so i i think that that brings up another point about spotify and that spotify is constantly to put it crudely just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks and over the course of their development as a company have like constantly evolved and changed like what their focus is or you know ways in which they could possibly you know turn a profit maybe you could actually talk a little bit about that like what why why is it important at this point and is it because i know we talked about it a little bit earlier in the episode but for spotify the pressure that spotify is under right now to turn a profit because it's just gone so long without it or do you think that that pressure is sort of false and they can kind of continue to dangle the carrot i think that the pressure is kind of false i think they can continue to dangle the carrot for a long time um there's long-term words about spotify because this idea of there's peak streaming right that in places like the u.s or core markets in europe that there's a lot of people who have already used spotify so like the potential for growth isn't that big there and that spotify has not expanded its growth into new markets the way that uh, i think it would have liked and especially because it's never, and this is like critical. And and again, I think this is the idea that I I, I I I've spent a lot of time thinking about, right? Like Spotify as tech company or Spotify as like a music company, right? Because all you you read about Spotify, man, and it's all about advertising. It's all about user data being used to target ads. Um, it's all about playlists and the playlistification of listening and mood playlists. And then you think about like where they're actually making money and it's converting unpaid free subscribers into paid subscribers because having ads when you listen to music is really annoying. And in fact, I think there's this funny thing that, that I haven't really read about that in some ways, Spotify has benefited from the fact that its ad technology kind of sucks because if the ads are good, you don't mind that much, right? But if the ads are jarring and bad and annoying, you're like... Which they are. They're always like a, like a different volume yeah. of the music you're playing Like, yeah. actually, the if the ads are jarring and bad, you're like, shit, man. Like, my subscription... I've had this happen. My subscription runs out. I don't, I'm, I'm like, maybe I'll do free. And then, like, a minute later, I'm like, back because the ads are so bad but that means at a global scale that the freemium model right of having a huge user base and somehow selling them advertisement actually hasn't worked for spotify mostly they're about subscriptions and if they can't get a millions and millions and millions of subscriptions in india and russia and brazil then those really rosy projections in the long term aren't going to come true. And then what you have is this company that kind of loses money because actually all it does actually 
is not pay artists that much and pay the major records labels a lot. And like, it's not this like mysterious, like tech complicated thing. It's like a middleman. And it like takes the inputs from here and it puts them out there. And like, that's basically what it does. And, and if you look at its move into podcasting, and the, really my thinking about, about this has come from the move into the podcasting because what it seems like it's doing in podcasting is buying up talent in a way that it never did in with music because the record labels are really strong, but there aren't major labels for podcasts, not like there are major labels for records, which means that... I mean, it's, it's changing, but yeah, I, I, hear, I hear your general point. Nope. But no, no, they're big podcast companies. Like, The Ringer was a big podcast company, but The Ringer is not Universal Music Group. Right, right. And what that let Spotify do is buy up, we're talking about the purchase of The Ringer, Joe Rogan, what's the what's the, the NPR one? Gimlet Media. Uh, whatever it's called, you know, the NPR spinoff. No, but like... um. The reason it bought... Oh, I get it. Oh, I seriously say the one that sounds like NPR. Yeah, the one you know, do, 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 I'm Gimlet Media. No, uh, you mean like 95% of podcasts out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moving on. Um, no, no, no. But like the reason you do that, the reason you'd lock in all this talent is because it seems to me, and like I am by no means an industry analyst here, but I guess increasingly, yeah. Uh, like it seems to me that they're the first people with a real big wallet at, at the at they're at the party right and so apple isn't signing podcasts like this yet amazon isn't signing podcasts like this and if netflix can like throw around real money for podcasts but for a company that's <laughs> spent billions of dollars and returned almost no profit and has the kinds of cash flow through that spotify does like the amount of money it's paying for joe rogan or joe budden is not that much money for them and so then maybe if they can lock in the talent, they can be something other than this awkward intermediary. You bringing up Netflix makes me think about the difference between Netflix and Spotify. And while they're bu- and while Spotify is buying up talent, like you just noted, it's also in the podcast game creating original content. And that's the turn that the Hulus and the Netflixes and all started to do, you know, over time once they were established. And so I, you know, and but it, but it, but it also gets me thinking about this other thing when I'm trying to think of put this all together and I'm trying to think of the artist and the listener, not so much the investor. I don't really care about them as much. But I think the the, the you know, but also the demands of this union being put on Spotify. And I think the main thing I worry about is when we talk about Spotify as this like middle company that's, you know, I worry about like alternatives to Spotify should Spotify disappear, which is actually part of what these these un- these demands from, from the union uh, is suggesting that if it can't meet these demands, then it shouldn't exist. And I, I, you know, obviously I welcome ongoing criticisms of these tech companies. I think it's important. However, I think that uh, as it was pointed out in the book, Spotify teardown on the history of Spotify and just reading in general about this growing era of so-called platform capitalism that like the difference between say Netflix and Spotify is that Netflix also never attempted to include all film and Spotify aspires to do such and of course there are good business reasons to do that 
the bigger the catalog of music you offer, the growing number of listeners, and also you're taking a bigger cut from their subscription as well as like the growing number of labels and artists that are on there and like so on. Uh, and But to like, to, to like sort of get to the point and nod to Liz Pelly here, you know, about Spotify treating artists as customers, uh, I, I wonder if we should be cautious about what we wish for here a little bit too when we criticize Spotify, you know, not us, but just when people do that. Because I fear that the alternative could very well be like a Pandora or a Netflix where like there's no hope of, of trying to include a like super deep, massive catalog of offerings. And of course, the result of that would be less exposure less exposure for smaller new indie out there experimental artists you know so now now of course i'm not saying like you know put up and shut up you know or like and i obviously think that all the criticisms level at spotify are great but i also just kind of like worry about once again when we level these criticisms like at spotify i think one there needs to be a better understanding of of what we've been talking about today on this podcast episode about actually their role, not only in the music industry, but just like in the economy as a service, but also we need to like do it thinking more about possible alternatives as well. But here's the question. Does Spotify actually have a really big catalog, right? Like it has a big catalog in like the abstract in terms of like, how many songs you could listen to but like you could argue that because of its desire for like um for leverage because of its need for leverage right because it's not producing its own stuff because of this weird intermediary role it's got like that actually it's constantly pushing listeners towards a fairly limited subsect of tracks yeah and that's kind of like the Liz Pelly criticisms that you know she wrote about in the baffler in the sense that when you create these mood lists and you kind of you know have these algorithms that it's just kind of servicing people the same fucking songs and the same you know whatever background music as 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 uh or muzak as like a lot of people put it but I, I think they generally know that it does have like a much bigger catalog in comparison to the catalog that say like Netflix or Hulu has when it comes to film, which is also like continually rotating. But like regardless of that point, I think I'm my my main point is just that you know once again we really need to focus on sort of the reality that this platform is also really easy and accessible way to reach people, and I don't think it's any leap to suggest that that this sort of streaming on demand is just whether or not they're using a mood playlist, like the one I got this morning that was for some reason called Opalique. <laughs> what the hell that means? I don't know if that's a reflection of my own life or whatever. Maybe those algorithms are getting better. But anyways, the point being, no matter how people listen to it, like this sort of streaming on demand is, you know, no matter how they're actually streaming is, is I don't think it's any great leap to suggest that this is the way people do it now. And I think that, it's not an either or here in the sense that we either just like completely eliminate Spotify or we kind of hedge our demands and like try to demand something, you know, from a exploitative music business company to try to make them like a little bit more artist friendly. I think it's kind of like somewhere in between there. And I think that in doing so, and I, I hate to put this on the artist, but if we're going to go ahead and create unions, that we also need to sort of create 
they need to create like sort of alternatives that are more artist centric and other platforms because I just think there's I'm so I'm just kind of like waving the flag of like careful what you wish for because I would hate to see I would hate to see that the the that ever Spotify went away or let's even say like Bandcamp which is held up as this like pillar of morality in the music business but like not let's not forget it's a privately held company that needs to turn a profit and I'm sure that it's like in some ways piqued the interest of a lot of investors who dare I say might come along someday and gobble it up you need to kind of think about like what would fill that space and would it actually even be worse? I, I, you know, so I, I think guess, there's a little bit of, I think there's just a little bit of like, there's like a, like a both I, here. There's like a middle ground here, you know, like demand more, but also like envision a better future. Yo, I really want to push back though. Cause I, I actually really dis- disagree with you about Spotify kind of as a discovery tool. Cause like, yes, at one level, I think it does make, I mean, it'd be impossible to argue that it makes so much music so accessible. But I also do feel like if you think about Spotify as taking like a curatorial turn, right, when it stopped, and again, this is, this is from this great book, Spotify Teardown, which you're, if you're interested in this, I would definitely recommend reading, that there, there's a move when like early on Spotify is like, you have the entire world's library of music at your fingertips. And then it turns out that was <laughs> overwhelming for people. And so they're like, no, 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 we'll guide you will suggest things to you will not just let you see what your friends listen to which is what they do at first and then they're like no actually we'll just give you these kind of playlists and you know when you're talking about spotify having these kind of world spanning ambitions in a way that let's say netflix never did one of the things it's doing then is it's centralizing those curatorial playlists like i read an interview with um one of the people behind the um, Rap Caviar playlist, right? Which is the major Spotify rap playlist. And he compared it to being at Hot 97 in the mid-90s, right? Like, protect your neck drops, the city goes wild, and the ability of, like, the insertion of a track onto a relative, you know, onto, onto a playlist that really can change the trajectory of an artist's career. And at one level, yeah, that's accurate. But at another level, Hot 97 was just in New York, right? There's also hip-hop stations in L.A. and New Orleans and Memphis and Houston and Philly. And they all have different curatorial vibes and different curatorial functions. And, and, you know, so there is this other thing that happens, I think, where with this playlistification, even though it does give you a wide variety of music, you get fewer decision makers and more eyes on a, on a, on a, a more limited set of tracks and spaces. And that I feel like has to hurt the diversity of the music. It just depends on how the listener, and this could bring us to maybe like the last thing we kind of wanted to talk about for the show, but I think it really depends on how people listen to music, you know? So I think it just really comes down to sort of like the listenership. So if we're talking about like the majority of people not really wanting to do a deep dive, let's just say that's the majority of listeners, which I think that probably stats back that up. And that's the whole reason why, well, not the whole reason, but part of the reason why Spotify took this curatorial turn. Then like, yeah, I can see your point. Right. Exactly. You know, so it's like, where, where's, I guess, I guess the question would be like, where's the space for say a college radio-esque like aspect to Spotify is essentially what you're asking, what you're saying. But even like on a greater level, like where's the regional aspect? You know, where's like the like, yeah, who's the who's the guy that does the uh, uh, 
like is a funk master flex who would do like the sort of like late night show dj mix and it would play a bunch of like local stuff in like new york yeah exactly but but also i think that there's another element to this which is that i don't just think that like spotify transparently has users that don't do the deep dive i think spotify intentionally makes it difficult to do a deep dive it intentionally makes it difficult to figure out not just like album credits which is super fair and is, is one of those the, the music workers alliance demands but like you know liner notes even like uh chronologies right that is maybe clearest at like the low level of like no this album actually came out in 1976 and the reissue came out in 1996 and it's frustrating to me that like you've put this in 1996 but I think it's actually indicative of a broader relationship to music that Spotify has developed. And one of the things about these playlists, especially these mood playlists, is that they really do, and there's some interesting literature about this, right? They, they cut across genres and performance conditions and like, sorry, genres and performing traditions and time and all kinds of weird ways. So, so I... I do think there's this broader thing where what they're trying to make, it seems to me in a way that their vast scale makes possible and maybe isn't as true for a more limited operation like Netflix is the sort of final total commodification of music, right? Where it's entirely interchangeable that you don't even have to go to a record store and get this rack or that rack or download a specific artist. It's like these songs just slot in and out with each other. And I think that that approach towards the conditions of music, the the music itself, which is visible in these smaller kind of like pedantic, annoying points, is also structures the core logic of the playlist. And I can't help but think that that like bodes really ill for the artists, right? Like if you treat all recorded music as entirely interchangeable, basically, based on a, a playlist system, then also, who cares about these artists? Yeah, but that's also, that's also like, presupposing that, that there was a time before this, which was even, that was any better. And I'm kind of asking, like, you know, all across, time, you know, the entirety of the music industry in America, there's been a sort of, there's been gatekeepers at all levels that have just taken different forms. Even if it's, yeah. you know, sophomore English uh, studies, you know, dude at, you know, UGA or something doing his, like, you know, late night set at 1 a.m. In a way, he's a fucking gatekeeper, <laughs> you know? And so I think that I'm kind of asking, like, what's the difference between the new and notable feature on Bandcamp and getting your song on a fucking mood playlist on Spotify. I guess the economic aspect is you're getting way less for that stream on the mood playlist opposed to if someone comes along and actually buys your $6 record on Bandcamp. Sure. But the point being, if we're talking about exposure, if we're talking about access, I don't really see that as much of a difference. There's still a gatekeeper. You know, maybe one's by an algorithm and one's by one of the fine editors at Bandcamp, but it's still a gatekeeper process. No, that's a that's a really good point. And I, I think it kind of leads us back to one of the ways we started this is, is thinking about Spotify as 
an operator in re- close relationship to these record labels, right? And that in some ways, because it's this tech company, because it's got this vision of feeding you algorithmically or algorithmically originated mood-specific playlists, there's this idea that it's not the same old grubby record industry. But in terms of it mostly acting as a pass-through entity for payouts to rights holders it is and in terms of like you're saying like who gets to determine what songs or in what playlists it is like it's no it's no secret that the vast majority of the songs on the top playlists even if the playlists are owned by spotify those are major label artists and major label artists have always been getting more exposure at all times as far as you know at least in my lifetime you know major label artists are always going to have more access and get more exposure or at least have access or the possibility of getting more exposure that's like all like since that's always been the case as far as you know and so i'm not i don't see this is just like a different form you know and i and 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 i kind of want to like take it like one step further and thinking about changing listening habits and thinking that you know and, and maybe asking the question as much as these mood playlists or whatever you want to call them, which, yeah, irk me just as much as they irk lots of us. And I agree on a very least emotional, personal level with Liz Pelly and the work that she's done. I do wonder if this sort of scrubbing down of the lines between genres is sort of the future of people's listening habits. And yes, we could say that's being shaped by the Spotify playlist, but also, if you're coming up and listening, the idea of like, oh, here's the hip hop station, here's the classic rock station, in which we grew up, kind of dividing up music, that maybe like this sort of like music divided up more for moods is sort of the future. And you know, like obviously the the, the you know who's driving that, you know, I mean, and that that that's a whole complex story that we don't need to get into. But I think that maybe that is the future, as gross as it might be, and. Just thinking out out loud, not thinking too deeply about it, but just thinking about it out loud, I struggle to come up with like a really scathing critique of that if that's the case. <laughs> you know, like I don't like I mean, and I and I would I would even argue that in some ways, I think a lot of artists think about mood, maybe not directly, but indirectly, and sometimes directly when they're making music. I don't think that that's completely uncommon either. That's really interesting. Um, and not how I expected this conversation to go, Saxon. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, no. Here's the deal. Like, let, let, let me let me just preface. Let me just go ahead and like once again reiterate all of the criticisms lev- leveled at Spotify. I agree with on some level. I just think that there's also needs to be like a stepping back, and, and I think what we oftentimes do as far as like deep dives into certain subjects on this podcast is really trying to look at the cold reality of the situation. You know, and so it's like, yes, I totally agree. Let's pay these artists more. Although I can get into a whole other questionable thing about like how we value a single stream, which is which it's like a totally heady mathematical issue that I don't really understand. I don't know what quite it's based in, but we'll 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 table that. But so I I but the point being, I generally agree with all of it. I want more. I want more artists to have access. I want more artists to have to get paid more, one hundred percent. But we also have to think about like this. Just are, are we being nostalgic? Are we like, are we, are we, are we, are we resisting 
the tide of change, you know? And like, do we try to like make that future a little bit better and for artists or do we completely fight against it? Is there like a middle ground? You just need to kind of think about it. And it's like, if I'm coming up, if I was eight years old when Spotify came out and all I've known is mood curated playlist, then for somebody listening to this podcast, they may be like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> Who cares about genres or whatever, you know? No, and, and, and I do think that that, that move that, that you indicated to think about kind of like the, that, the realities and the long-term realities of that is, is super useful, right? Like, and it's important as we, something we talk about a lot is like to highlight the fact that like there was never a good time. There was never a good, there was never a good place. There was yeah, never, there was a, good never a good time. And so, and so like when you, yeah, yeah. When you level these criticisms, you have to take into account the entirety of the modern, modern history of the music industry. And there's never a pure moment. You know, we, we are planning on doing a Fugazi episode in the future, hopefully very near future. And even then, they had to play the ball game to a certain point. No one is, no one's hands are completely dirty. There's always some involvement with this industry. And it's a constant hedging against, against trying to make it better while kind of working within it, in a sense. And not, as it, not only is it like a constant, everyone is always engaged with this industry at some level. But also, like, it wasn't like there was a time where there's a state of nature and only independent labels reigned. And then the darkness came and it was majors. It's like, no, there were major record labels and the indies popped up around them, right? Like, the way a pop song works, the way uh, a musical commodity works is defined by these major label systems and has been from the very start. But but I also wanted to kind of go... um and think about what you were kind of saying about mood playlists. Because in my mind, there's two ways. Uh, there's like a kind of a two ways that you could you could spin it, right? For one, it's thinking about mood playlists as entirely within the history of recording formats, right? It's like they're three minute. You know, three minutes of music fits on a single, so all the jazz songs are three minute, three and a half minutes long. And bands make singles because that's how a song works. And then you get FM radio and then you can have a nine minute song played on the radio and that changes the music again, right? This is kind of like Marshall McLuhan stuff. The medium is the message. So like in that case, neither of those ended music. And like if mood playlists are how people consume music, that artists will make music for a mood playlist and there'll be a back and forth thing. And then some artists will come along and make a you know, discover a new vibe <laughs> and then that will come ripple through the mood playlist and the system will exist and then change and then be disrupted and exist and then change in the kind of like tidal cycles of aesthetic progression or whatever. But, so that's like the kind of uh, rosier version. I also want to tag though, a thing that makes me nervous, I think, is how abstract something like mood is from the embodied histories that are represented in genres it's all and like genres are in and of the, of the in and of themselves like rhetorical constructions of power right this is hillbilly music this is blues and we talked about that with wayne marshall right where you know this is white music this is black music and clearly there's like intense struggles and, and intense repercussions of those kind of actions but at the same time a whole set of 
lived realities and performative conditions and musical traditions are embodied within these genres. So if you're going from genre to mood, it seems like you're snapping a lot of threads that tied pieces of music that are already pretty damn abstracted from their conditions of production, but like entirely separated from the cultures that produced them, from their original meanings. And then they're a lot easier to twist and change as a commodity. And I do want to highlight that as a potential threat. And maybe it's not an irrevocable one, but it does seem to be... A potential threat to what? A potential threat to musical culture. To the the histories that are embodied in these traditions. Wow, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a lot of enemies with this with this with this episode, but I I think that that's I mean, I mean, girl talk, man. Like like people don't like like a, a large amount of people. I agree that I think that we should preserve that and we should continue to like try to preserve that and make that accessible. But I think that's long been people don't the majority of listeners don't or club goers or concert goers don't think about that. No, no, I totally agree with you. Most people don't think about this, right? But that doesn't mean it doesn't, like, live through them, right? And, like, yes, like, country radio or hip-hop radio are abstractions. And, yes, they're defined by the realities of the market. But in addition, they have generations of lived meaning that connect to them. And they connect to, if we think about, like, you know, like that episode we did, again, we did about American Clave, where you've got these rhythmic traditions that, like, move through communities and with communities over time. And I do think that commodified meaning is better than no meaning at all. And I guess I just see a potential massive loss of meaning by the decontextualization of music that you get on a playlist where it's like a song from 2010, a song from 2000, a song from 1970, different artists, different countries with no way to trace them back. And more than that, a system that's designed for you not to do so or have any interest in doing so well to play the devil's advocate you could also possibly create new meanings and new reflections and new threads uh and discover them that way no no no. i think you're right though i think that's a that's a, a super valid counter argument um i like yeah i think by definition like history doesn't end right we talk about this there's never a good time but history also never ends so like yeah new meanings would be created i just like <laughs> i don't fucking trust spotify to make those new meanings <laughs> Well, you know, I don't really trust Spotify either to make those new meanings. And unfortunately, the systems at play that lead to a Spotify are going to have an impact on culture. But they also are a product of that culture. And it's, I guess, just trying to find some sort of like middle ground there at all times where we can kind of maintain the things that we value and access these sort of histories or these meanings and keep those available alongside a playlist uh, for your uh, evening meal. <laughs> I guess the thing, though, is it's also this funny thing where it's like, and maybe this is simplistic, right? But it's almost like Spotify is a, medium shitty music company like it's not a very successful music company and also an extremely successful tech company in that it's successful at doing what tech companies do which is like take global finance 
and like launder it to its executives and its stock price, right? And yeah, and sure, that yeah. fucking sucks. Like that's a shitty thing in the world. I'm really opposed to that. I'm opposed to it both because like obviously like the international financial system is like not has not been doing good for the world, but also and like more specifically because it creates these insane expectations for these companies that create companies that function in specific ways. And it seems like it reduces the, the, the space in our society for companies to do things in a more sustainable way. And that sucks. Yeah. But I mean like what, yeah, I mean, I hear that and I agree with all that, but it's also, it's also, you can talk about and write about and champion alternatives. And I, and I support that because I think that planting, expanding people's imaginations about what can be is extremely important. But once again, do we blame Spotify or do we just blame the, the, the big, the big monster that is these financial systems? No, it's true. And because you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like baseball, right? When everybody was juicing, everybody had, it was doing steroids, right? Who's the moral character as a major league baseball player, if everybody or like whatever percentage majority of the players are doing steroids, who's the one who's going to be like, no, I will not do steroids. And, but thereby making them have a disadvantage to the rest of the entire league. His name was Derek and like, Jeter can, and he's a King. Well, I don't want to start that one, but I think Jeter, I'm sure like had a needle uh, put into his <laughs> ass at least, at least one point. But the point, my point still remains is that you can't expect any of these companies, and if they are, great. And I, you know, and I'm fascinated by Bandcamp. I continue to watch them because they seem to do generally, they seem to operate as a at least semi moral character in this in this system. No, but that's you true. can't expect that from these companies, you know. And I, and and like that, that that they were like, no, 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 you know, just because of like what? Because like music is sacred. Because the commodity of music is sacred, you can't expect that, you know. And I, yeah, I, but I don't. I, but once again, like no, no, you're you're super. Well, I said just once again, like but like I just I want to clarify here that, you know, I agree with what you're saying. I'm just I guess taking a sort of, you know, I'm so I'm taking more of a dialectical view of these things where I'm kind of acknowledging the reality of it while also agreeing and encouraging the criticisms. No, I mean, and that is true. I mean, I, I guess the thing is that. And this again goes back to the kind of like the the mysticism around tech, right? Is that what it's let, and this is a real problem, right? What it's let people do is let the major labels off the hook. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, one hundred percent. More or less. And once again, here to we me. are. Like even in this episode, I mean, obviously we we meant to cover Spotify specifically. But like the real villains behind this, I mean, you know, obviously the real villain behind this is just the systems to play. But the real like villains behind this specific story are the major record labels. A tale as old as time. <laughs> it's true. And and it's also important to note that like we're talking about Spotify vanishing, but like if Spotify vanished, everyone would just go over to Apple Music. And I don't know if like Apple Music yeah, I mean is that better? No, it's not better. None of them are better. It's not and better. Like, no, like okay, now now everything is truly Apple. Like let's give them the monopoly. You know, I. And here we are again, old friend. <laughs> Depressionville. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, watch this space. And I mean, that's the other thing, though. There's no reason why you couldn't have a co-op Spotify. And But the flip side is then, and then you get this, right? It's because Spotify can offer things for free. And it can offer things for free at a loss because of the systems. Because people only pay for this. Indeed. What, you know, most people, they convert. Right. So once again, getting back to the, the, the big beast that's like hovering its long shadow over everything that we ever talk about. <laughs> But yeah, I think that wraps up this episode on Spotify. Obviously, Spotify is constantly changing and we will definitely keep an eye on it and probably talk a lot more about Spotify. In fact, we will definitely talk more about Spotify in the future. But until then, Music by Bird Language is always, you're listening to Money for Nothing, a podcast about music and capitalism. Please rate and review us. We would really love it and appreciate it. And yeah, I'm Saxon Barrett. I'm with Sam Backer as always. See you in two weeks.